to the book of Ecclesiastes. We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 tonight. We'll um, be looking at the first half, verses 1 to 14, and then, um, then next week, the second half. But Ecclesiastes and verses, uh, Ecclesiastes 7, verses 1 to 14. So read along with me. Better is a good name than good oil, and better is the day of one's death than the day of one's birth. Better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, because that is the end of all mankind, and the living puts this in his heart. Better is vexation than laughter, for when a face is sad, a heart may be merry. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, while the heart of fools is in the house of gladness. Better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than for one to listen to the song of fools. For as a crackling sound of thorn bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. And this too is vanity. For oppression gives a, man, a wise man over to madness, and a bribe destroys the heart. Better is the end of a matter than its beginning. Better is patience of spirit than haughtiness of spirit. Do not be eager in your spirit to be vexed, for vexation rests in the bosom of fools. Do not say, why is it that the former days were better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask about this. Wisdom along with an inheritance is good, and an advantage to those who see the sun. For wisdom is a shadow of protection, as money is a shadow of protection. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the lives of its masters. See the work of God, for who is able to straighten what he has bent? In the day when there is good, be of good cheer. But in the day when there is evil, see, God has made the one as well as the other, so that man will not find out anything that will be after him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at these words, at these principles, these uh, proverbs, so to speak, please give us wisdom. Help us to understand, help us to um, discern, help us to apply these principles, these proverbs to our lives. Help us to reflect upon the life you have given us in this uh, sin-cursed world, in this time and place, that we may walk wisely, that we may um, live faithfully, that we may walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we come to chapter 7, and this is a little bit after what um, many uh, theologians, many pastors would uh, um, believe is the center of this book, Uh, Ecclesiastes um, is as we've been going through, as I've said, it, it, and many others have said before, that it's somewhat of Solomon's repentance. Um, it's definitely at the end of his life as he reflects upon his life and, and life itself in, in this sin-cursed world, or as he would say, life lived under the sun. And he reflects upon the meaning of life, the purpose of life, what is good in life, what is evil, what is wise, what is foolish. And... Uh, much of Ecclesiastes, it, it, it can seem um, similar to Proverbs um, as we've been going through it. It also seems uh, 
a bit depressing and despairing at times, and I, I think that's by design to uh, push us towards God, to fear God, to um, keep his commandments, to also understand how transient we are, how little we are, how, in a sense, insignificant we are, and how great God is. Um, and as we go through it, it there, there is a sense that um, at times it, it's somewhat hard to, um, to see the flow or the outline. He repeats himself several times. It, it, it's almost as if he goes through um, the same things in cycles going back to things, but um, again and again. But um, some who have outlined it um, would say that he goes from, in a sense, uh, a whiz between wisdom and foolishness and vanity. Um, this one uh, pastor or theologian, he has outlined it, in a sense, as um, in this structure, which uh, is... Uh, called a chiasm. A chiasm is, is it's almost like um, uh, an X or where you have, um, say, <clears throat> the beginning is, 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 is starts up here and then you get to the, the center and then, then the end almost mirrors the beginning again. And uh, so one has outlined this uh, uh, as the beginning of this being uh, talking about the, uh, a poem about the brevity and seemingly insignificance of life as, as Solomon starts with vanity of vanities in chapter 1 and then um, chapter 1 to the end of chapter 2, wisdom's failure to discover life's meaning and then in, in that um, most probably most famous um, portion of Ecclesiastes and, and for many the Bible that poem about time itself and the events in life in chapter 3 and then there's this problem that um, he discovers in, in uh, the end of chapter 3 about th that the world is full of injustice and oppression and then in chapter 4 we see these other problems of suffering and deprivation and that the world is full of dissatisfied people seeking wealth and then this, uh, this theologian sees the center of the book in chapter 5, in verses 1 to 7, which my Bible has a heading, and, and uh, this theologian also has a heading of fear God. And perhaps many of your Bibles also say the same, fear God. And he talks about worship. And then he kind of goes back, that's the center, kind of goes back to the, the same things he sees in the beginning, that the world is full of dissatisfied people seeking wealth, that, in chapter 5, the rest of chapter 5, and that the world is full of misfortune and deprivation, that the world is full of injustice and unfairness as he sees the vanity of riches or the vanity of life, as some of your Bibles may have that heading. And then he gets back here to, to uh, another poem, so to speak, um, in chapter 7, a poem about time that, in a sense, uh, uh, is similar to that in chapter 3. But I, I would take this more along the lines of not so much a poem, but a list of proverbs. A list of proverbs um, concerning life. And, and just like the, the book of Proverbs, one key distinction in the book of Proverbs that we see is this, this theme of, uh, or this element of compare and contrast. You see 
um, a lot in the book of Proverbs, a lot of, you know, here's the wise and here's the foolish. Here's the wise person and here's the fool. Um, and Solomon does that compare and contrast. And one key element you see here in, in chapter 7 is this, this phrase, uh, better, or better than. And, and it's almost like he, he lists these um, Proverbs. And there's several um, principles and lessons to glean here. But I see this also in two main lessons from verses 1 to 14. Two main lessons. And that first lesson would be verse 1 to 8. How to end well. As he begins with, talks about the end of our life. uh, Of going to the house of mourning. And then the second lesson, how to live well. As he gives us uh, some do not, do not do this, or do not uh, think this way, do not say. And so we're going to divide it up that way, how to end well, and then how to live well. And so as Solomon begins this portion of his book, he tells us the first lesson in how to end well how to end our lives well, is to live in light of the end. To live in light of the end in verses, uh, verse 1. Better is a good name than good oil. And better is a day of one's death than the day of one's birth. And we can look at this, and we, right off we can see um, what he mean, means by good name. Um, better is a good name. We, we understand that he, he's referring to uh, your reputation, your legacy. But for many of us, uh, when he says good oil, um, we don't really get the comparison. We, we, we see uh, oil used throughout the Old Testament. And if you know a little bit about um, Israel and the Middle East, you know the, the benefit of olive oil. And not only in Israel, um, but even in the, the Mediterranean world, in, in, in Greece and Italy, you know that olive oil is a, a huge commodity. Throughout the whole Old Testament, we see oil come up over and over again. Um, its use in um, food or uh, medicine or um, anointing or worship. And uh, so, but we have to ask the question, what, what does he, Solomon really mean here? And, and what's this comparison um, from, with a good name and good oil? Better is a good name than good oil. Well, Old Testament scholar Dr. William Barrick, he writes this in his commentary um, concerning this good oil. It, it could otherwise be translated ointment. He says, the good ointment might refer to any of a number of normal situations in ancient Israel's culture. The bathing of an infant in oil at birth, um, referred to in Ezekiel 16.4. Second, refreshing the body to provide relief from body odor, muscle soreness, dry skin, and other conditions. Uh, We we can think of the... um, the parable of the Good Samaritan, how the Good Samaritan rubbed out his wounds with oil. Um, Third, he says, a luxury provided by the possession of significant wealth. And this is getting a little bit more at what Solomon is getting at, that that the oil, and we we think of, um, of 
the woman with the alabaster flask who anointed Jesus' body, that oftentimes uh, oil would um, be um, perfumed. And it wouldn't just be, um, be olive oil, but it might be mixed with some other um, aromatic oil, uh, nard or some other spices um, to be sort of a perfume or an anointing oil. And uh, this is getting a little bit more at what Solomon is hinting at. Um, but Dr. Barak, he goes on to say the, the fourth um, use is the preparation of a corpse for burial. That there would be anointing oils. And he says the fourth setting fits best since the context speaks of the day of one's death and a house of mourning. A house of mourning. He, and what Solomon is getting at here is he's saying, um, your name, a good name, is better than the good oil that will, in a sense, anoint you at your death or, or even um, anoint you in life. One, one pastor said, there's two things that linger after you leave a place. Your scent and your reputation. And you think about that. Uh, when you leave somewhere, um, people talk about you. And they either say good things or bad things. Uh, most of the time, you don't know what they say. But you know what you say when other people leave your presence. And uh, so you know that that's true. There's two things that linger after you leave a place. Your scent or your reputation. And Solomon, what Solomon's getting at is it's better to have a good name to... Uh, then good oil. Dr. Barrick, he goes on and he says, at the beginning of one's life, an individual receives a name. Throughout one's lifetime, that name obtains either a good reputation or a bad one, preferably a good one. In fact, one's name accrues value and has the potential of being more valuable at death than birth. Your name throughout your life should, in a sense, accrue value in terms of your reputation, your legacy, so that when it comes to the time of your death, that your, the day of your death would be better than the day of one's birth. And you think about that. You know, um, when a baby is born, you know, no one says anything bad about the baby. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and you can think of the most horrendous people in human history. And I guarantee at the time of their birth, people said wonderful things about that person. They thought wonderful things. They, they, they thought about the potential of that person. You know, I guarantee no one said anything bad about Hitler when he was born. Probably thought really well of him. Or, or a number of other, you know, horrendous, uh, wicked people. When they were born, people thought great things about them. But it's really at their death when we um, really uh, figure out who they are or, or praise them. And this is what Solomon is getting at. Uh, better is a good name than good oil. And better is a day of one's death than the day of one's birth. He, he says, he's telling us to live in light of the end. That, that there will be an end to our days, and, and uh, we, we have to, in a sense, think, well, you know, what will people think about us? Will our, our 
our death day be better than our birthday? Second, the second lesson in, in teaching us how to end well is to remember that there is an end. Remember that there is an end. Uh, verse 2, better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting because that is the end of all mankind and the living puts this in his heart. You know, I, I remember um, the, the first funeral I ever conducted, that was actually my mom's. Uh, for my mother, and uh, I was still in seminary, and, and I asked uh, a couple, I asked a couple pastors about doing funerals, and, and this would, in a sense, be um, somewhat emotionally charged for for me. And I'm conducting her funeral, and I, I want to get it right. And I remember one pastor; he tells me he says, um, "Share Ecclesiastes seven two. And since then, I have read that verse. And explain that verse at every funeral, every memorial I have conducted or been at. Um, because it's true. It's true. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. It's better to go to a funeral than a party. Because that's the end of all mankind. That is our end. And the living will put this in his heart. The living will lay it to heart. And what Solomon's trying to teach us here is to remember that there is an end. Remember that there is an end, and, and, and not only remember, but remind yourself often of it. So I say, you know, in a sense, uh, never miss a funeral. Never miss a funeral if you can. You know, I, I, I recently um, just, uh, I think I saw it on social media, but... Um, <clears throat> This ad, and it, it was interesting, um, and this was more geared towards uh, uh, business people, people um, kind of trying to be successful in life, and it was this poster. It was about the size of a door, and it had uh, check blocks on it, and um, you could, uh, it was pretty much a big uh, grid of, of check blocks, and each block represented one week. And I, I think what it was, it, it was, it was to show, give you a visual representation of your life and how much time you have and how much time you have left. And I, I think it, it went up to, say, like 100 years in weeks. And the point was to hang this on your door and you would mark off every week or the years in weeks that you have passed thus far. And you could be visually reminded, in a sense, of how much time you have left. And, and not that any of us knows how much time exactly, but we, we, we know that we probably won't live past 100, and so that was the point of the whole chart, to show you, and, and, and many who, who um, bought this chart and hung it on their wall said, this is a game changer. And, and this was from a secular perspective because they're constantly confronted with the fact that they're living on borrowed time, that they only have a little bit of time left, and that there is an end. And so they're forced to remind themselves often that there is an end. There's an end to life. And, and we're, we're reminded of this every time we go to a funeral, or, or we ought to be. We ought to be. If we're wise, we ought to reflect upon that. The third lesson Solomon gives us is to walk soberly and circumspectly. In verses 3 to 4, and he continues in, in this thought of uh, the, 
of a funeral or, or, or going to a house of mourning rather than the house of feasting. He says, better is vexation than laughter. For when a face is sad, a heart may be merry. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, while the heart of fools is in the house of gladness. And some of your, your Bibles might say anger or frustration and laughter. And it's, verse 3 is kind of hard to understand um, in the context of a funeral, but um, kind of like what he's getting at. Because <clears throat> he explains, for when a face is sad, a heart may be merry. He's getting at um, to think soberly, to think circumspectly about life. Um, he's talking, in a sense, about the, the person who is maybe sad at a funeral, um, may, um, in a sense, uh, also be happy over the person that, um, and their life. Uh, it, it reminds me of, um, of the child who asks his parent, why are you crying? Why are you crying, mommy? Or why are you crying, daddy? And, and not so much out of sadness are they crying, but the, the parent says, these are happy tears. These are tears of joy. And it's, I, I think this is what Solomon is getting at. Those times when you reflect upon life or you f- reflect upon someone else's life, and, and especially in the context of a funeral and the life they live, especially someone who may have lived a good life, a, a father or a grandfather, um, and they're now gone, and you reflect upon the good times, the good things, and there's... The, a sadness on your face, but your heart is merry because you, you see the good life that they lived or, or, or you see the good life that you ought to live and you just reflect upon life itself and there is, in a sense, a, a tears of joy over this person. As one preacher said concerning, you know, this concept of better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting or, or just, you know, the, death, the, 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 the last day of one's life versus the first day. He says that, that a coffin is a better teacher than a crib. A coffin is a better teacher than a crib because it, it forces us to reflect upon life. The fourth lesson that Solomon teaches us in how to end well in verses 5 to 7 is to listen to hard words more than the easy words. He says, better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than for one to listen to the song of fools. For as the crackling sound of thorn bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. And this too is vanity. For oppression gives a wise man over to madness, and a bribe destroys the heart. He's saying, you know, listen to rebuke. Listen to those words which are hard to receive, but are beneficial for you. Rather than those words which are pleasant to the ear, but are useless and misleading. And he uses this this illustration in verse 6, for as a crackling sound of thorn bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of, a, of the fool. 
And it, it takes a little bit of background understanding in, in that day and age to understand this, um, but more so um, perhaps the, just the, the Hebrew terms, because there's a pun here in Hebrew. Uh, Dr. Barak, he says this, he says, Solomon utilizes a pun to drive the point home in verses 5 and 6. He contrasts a song, the Hebrew word sure, of fools with the crackling of thorn bushes, sirah, under a pot, sir. So it would be sure, sirah, sir. And another commentator, he, he kind of, um, his best translation of English um, for this would be um, like nettles crackling under kettles. There's a sort of a rhyme to it. And Dr. William Barrick, he explains this. Um, many would, would take this to mean an, an unpleasant sound or, or something that is useless. But uh, Dr. William Barrick, he says this, Thorn bushes crackle pleasantly in the fire, but the flames quickly consume them without any enduring heat with which to heat a pot of water or food. The heat they produce is temporary. The humor and laughter of fools possesses an equally fleeting benefit. Indeed, their merriment is hevel, which means vanity or um, just uh, vapor. It's transitory and insubstantial. And if you, you know, ever done this before around campfires, uh, some, a lot of guys have done this. You get a, a big um, bush, like a, or like a, um, you know, a sagebrush or or some big like dried out bush or thorns or a bunch of small sticks and you throw it on a fire and it just bursts into flames real quickly and it crackles and, and, and it's quickly consumed. And it's, for the moment, it's kind of funny. It's kind of pleasing. It's kind of interesting because it flames up real quick. But then it quickly dies down. It's not, it's not long-lasting. It's not useful to heat anything up. In, in, um, in Israel... Um, a lot of times, you know, they didn't have a, a lot of wood, but they, they would burn what they could. And uh, especially with thorns, thorns weren't useful for much. And so um, they would burn them. They would use them as they could. And it, it may have been more to get rid of the thorns than to heat the pot. But um, it, nonetheless, they, they, they burned them and they would make this crackling, the snap, crackle, pop um, sound. And, and it would be... Um, this, this uh, quick fire, and it would be almost uh, pleasing temporarily, but it would not provide any lasting um, heat or any lasting benefit. In, in the sense of this, this is, this is in a sense, um, you know, when you contrast that, you use that illustration, you contrast the rebuke of the wise man versus the uh, song of fools. The, the rebuke of the wise man, the hard words... Uh, they're not pleasant. They're not pleasant to hear. It's no one wants to be rebuked, <laughs> but it's it, it's helpful for us. It's helpful for us. And, and, but I, I, on the contrast, that you know, there's many things we hear in pop culture uh, in the world. Um, little um, 
just sayings of worldly wisdom or, um, you know, the songs you hear, the, the pop songs you hear playing um, over the, the loudspeakers when you walk through the convenience store or whatever that are catchy and you remember the song and, and yet the song is vain and useless and worldly, but it's so, it's in a sense has such a catchy tune that um, you remember it and, and pretty soon you start singing it. Uh, maybe because you grew up listening to those songs, but in the end, they're, they're useless. And in Solomon, in verse 7, which is almost hard to understand, he says, For oppression gives a wise man over to madness, and a bribe destroys the heart. He's in a sense talking about um, the, the, <clears throat> the worldly wisdom. And the laughter of the fool, the, to listen to the song of fools. It, it's almost as if it will destroy your heart. It, it, this is a, a bribe or a temptation of the world to, to idolatry, to uh, turn away from wisdom. In the end, it, it, in a sense, it, it oppresses you. Solomon tells us to, in order to end well, we should listen to the hard words more than the easy Listen to the wise words more than the foolish. Seek, you know, in a sense, a hard way rather than the easy way. Fifth, in, his, um, in this list of Proverbs and how to end well, um, he tells us to delay gratification and focus on the finish. Verse 8, better is the end of a matter than its beginning. Better is patience of spirit than haughtiness of spirit. It's telling us to delay our gratification, to be patient, and to focus on the finish. There's a sense I, I had a professor who um, was uh, big in the counseling world, he still is, um, and he was a pastor for a long time, and he would say, you know, um, Christians and people in general have a hard time finishing. Have a hard time finishing what they started. They're good at starting things. They're good at starting projects. They're good at starting plans. They're good at a Bible reading plan or a project to build something or even a degree program or a vocational school or what have you. It's easy to start. It's easy to make the plans. It's easy to set the goal. But to see it through, that's a hard thing. And Solomon is, in a sense, he, he's in a sense alluding to the whole of one's life, but he's also talking about um, all the endeavors we start and fail to finish. He, he's saying the end of a matter, the end of your endeavor, your goal, your plan, your project is, is better than its beginning. In the beginning, you have all these high hopes of, of what you're going to do. I'm going to build that. I'm going to, um, you know, fix this. I'm going to um, work on this room in the house or this landscaping or, you know, I'm going to start this degree and you have all these goals and aspirations, but then, you know, you get in the middle of it and things happen, going gets tough, um, there's uh, setbacks and um, we give up easily. And we need, as he continues, patience of spirit rather than haughtiness of spirit. Don't, don't be haughty and, and make these lofty goals and lofty plans without counting the cost. 
delay our gratification, focus on the finish, follow it through. We, we need to end well. End well. And so Solomon uh, teaches us in these list of Proverbs, talking better is a good name than good oil, or better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, all these better than statements, he's teaching us how to end well. And then he gets into his second lesson for us. He teaches us how to end well, and then now he teaches us, in a sense, how to live well. And many of these these lessons, these proverbs, they're overlapping. They're, they're um, uh, almost very similar, how to end well and how to live well. And then he goes on into these do not statements, verses 9 to 14. And the first lesson in how to live well is don't be easily frustrated or angered. Verse 9, do not be eager in your spirit to be vexed, for vexation rests in the bosom of of fools. And once again, the vexation or vexed could be translated anger or frustration. It's, it's not exactly anger. It's more frustration might be a better translation. Um, don't be frustrated. Don't be angry at, at, at things in this world. Don't, don't be eager in your spirit to, uh, to look for trouble or to find problems. You're, you're um, a fault finder. You know, you, you, see, um, you, see, you see the dark cloud in every silver lining, so to speak. Um, you, you're, you know, uh, <clears throat> my uh, dad used to tell me, he would say, you would complain if ice cream was too cold. You know, or like uh, certain things that, you know, you're just always looking for the negative, always looking for the problem, always looking for something to complain about or to be frustrated about or to be angry about. Don't do that. Don't look for trouble. Don't look for problems. Don't um, cultivate anger. Don't cultivate grumbling. And this is, you know, in line with several of, of Solomon's Proverbs. He has several Proverbs which speak to the same end about anger and frustration. Proverbs 16.32, he says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his own spirit than he who captures a city. And that's really what, what Solomon is getting at. The, the core of this is to have self-control, to rule your own spirit, not to be... Um, uh, persuaded or, or, or um, manipulated or um, uh, blown about by all the circumstances of life and, and situations that just um, uh, easily influence you. It also says Proverbs 25, 28, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. If you can't control your own spirit, you can't um, control... Um, yourself uh, uh, and not get angry or frustrated or, or grumble or complain about the circumstances of life, then you're almost um, without defense for other sorts of temptations, temptations to comfort and, and lust and uh, covetousness. Without, without self-control, you're like a city broken into and left without walls. He also, in a sense, uh, uh, compares this to fools, to foolishness. 
It says, vexation rests in the bosom of fools. Uh, fools are often frustrated. And, and frustration is often foolish. You see fools, they, they flitter about from one, um, one uh, thing of pleasure or comfort or adventure to the next. They're not resolute. They're, they're not self-controlled. And they're often easily frustrated or angered. Solomon's next lesson in how to live well, he tells us, first, don't be easily frustrated or angered. And then second, don't long for the good old days. Don't long for the good old days. Verse 10, do not say, why is it that the former days were better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask about this. You know, and that's essentially what he's saying. You know, we've all been there, the good old days, you know. And if it's, it wasn't back in my day, it was, you know, my father didn't have to deal with this, or my grandfather didn't have to deal with this, or if I just lived a hundred years ago, or, I, you know, a couple hundred years ago, or, you know, we, we in our day and age, we, we think of, you know, you know, if, if America was the way it used to be, like, like uh, you know, like in Leave it to Beaver, you know, back in those days. You know, but the truth of the matter is, you know, our culture, our society still had problems. There, there was still evil. There was still sin. Um, they, they also didn't have many of the benefits we have today of modern medicine and technology. And so um, there's a sense that the good old days weren't as good as we think they were. And we, we may think they were better because we were younger then and we didn't realize how evil they really were. You know, the, the prime illustration of this in the Bible is the Israelites in the wilderness. They get frustrated. All we have is this manna. And we had all these leeks and onions and melons and fish in Egypt. Even though we were oppressed and we were enslaved and we didn't have our own country and we didn't have freedom and um, we were being beaten and our children were being killed with the by the Egyptians, you know, at least we had melons and leeks and onions and fish, you know, that was good, you know, and it's easy to look back on the good old days and look at the good things rather than the bad things. And what's interesting is about, you know, even looking back on the good old days, you can't go back to them anyways. You can't go back there anyways. And this is why, you know, we have this genre in, in uh, you know, in literature and in uh, movies of, you know, time travel, the, 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 the time machines uh, of going back. And, and, and there's so many different movies and stories, and, and some of them are hilarious, and some of them are just tragic. The truth of the matter, even if we could go back in time, we would be different. We, we would be, we'd be a different person than we were back when we were younger we can't go back to the good old days anyways Solomon says it is not from wisdom that you ask about this he's saying <clears throat> it's foolish it's foolish to long for the good old days because you can't go back you you can't make the present like the past and not only that but this is the best time and place for you to live because this is where 
This is the time and place that God has ordained for you to live in. And so we must accept that. that then that's living wisely. That's being wise. Being foolish is, is uh, fantasizing about a different time and place in which you could live because you can't, you can't make that happen. As much as you fantasize about it, you can't make it happen. You can't go back to the good old days. Third, Solomon tells us <clears throat> to get wisdom and understand its value. To get wisdom and understand its value, verses 11 and 12. Wisdom along with an inheritance is good and an advantage to those who see the sun. For wisdom is a shadow of protection as money is a shadow of protection. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the lives of its masters. Get wisdom. Acquire it. And right away, as soon as I read this verse, it reminded me of... Um, the proverb, and in a sense, uh, uh, the beginning of Proverbs. And if you, uh, I, I try to read Proverbs often and, and regularly in my devotion, and uh, many of you have heard of that, that program. Um, since there is 31 pro Proverbs, you read a, a, a chapter a day, and then within a month, you go through the Proverbs and you can cycle through that. But, and, and that's in a sense, um, a way to read the Proverbs is uh, repetition. Um, but when you read the Proverbs, you understand that the first 10 chapters is more of a, uh, has more of a context and a flow, and, and then the rest is pithy statements. But we see this in, in Proverbs chapter 4 as Solomon is, is kind of explaining wisdom. And he says in verses 3 to 8, When I was a son to my father tender, and the only son before my mother, then he instructed me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live, acquire wisdom. Or some translations say, get wisdom. Acquire understanding. Do not forget and do not turn away from the sayings of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. And with all your acquiring, acquire understanding. Prize her and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. It's interesting. I've heard several preachers and teachers um, you know, teach about wisdom. And they'll use that uh, verse 7 of Proverbs chapter 4 and would say and emphasize that the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. <laughs> That's the beginning of wisdom is to obtain it, to get it, because you understand its value in obtaining it or seeking after it, that it's valuable. It's valuable to have in this life. It, it, it protects you. It's a guard. It's, it, it, it brings value to your life. It, it brings blessing to your life in, in every way. There's also a sense that wisdom can't be taken away from you, uh, except by you know maybe a, a serious uh, disease or accident in which you, you know, may lose your mental abilities um, but for most of us um, we hold on to the things we learn throughout our lives whereas our possessions can be taken away and Solomon's saying know wisdom get it understand its value and he goes on he, he kind of gives this illustration that wisdom is a shadow of protection as money is a shadow of protection 
He uses this term, and it could be better translated, wisdom is shade, as money is shade. And if you, you know, remember this phrase throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, he talks about life lived under the sun. Kind of this, um, this picture of living in a sin-cursed world. Life lived under the sun, and he says that wisdom is shade, just as money is shade. And not that, you know, oftentimes we think about money and, and we think um, that it's evil. And, and there are um, parts of the Bible where that would elude is even um, the Bible says that the love of all money, the love of money is the root of all evil and not the money itself, but the love of it. And so money itself is, is not evil, but the love for it, the greed is evil. But money in and of itself offers um, some sort of protection, some sort of shade for life lived under the sun. And that's what Solomon is comparing wisdom with that. And yes, the Bible often says that we are not to place our hope on riches because riches come and go. But nonetheless, um, we know just, I mean, just simply stated, it's better to be rich than poor because you can buy stuff. (laughs) <laughs> and, and you know I, I think of I think of all the um, I have a lot of friends who are do-it-yourselfers and uh, there's some of us we, we try to be a do-it-yourselfer we try to do everything ourselves and um, but you know if you have enough money you don't have to do it yourself you can pay somebody to do it and oftentimes it's done better than you could do it. <laughs> and there, there's a sense that, that money does offer some sort of protection, some sort of stability. And Solomon says that wisdom is, is just like that. It offers you shade. It offers you protection. There is an advantage of knowledge that wisdom preserves your life. It helps you to make decisions, to plan, to, um, uh, to discern good from evil, um, bad from good, uh, what is wise from foolish. Uh, it, it offers protection. So he says, get wisdom and understand its value and, and you will know how to live well. You will live well. His fourth lesson in this um, passage on how to live well is to observe and embrace God's sovereignty and providence. Verses, verse 13. It says, See the work of God, for who is able to straighten what he has bent? See the work of God. You know, observe God's works. Observe his works in creation, his, his works in history, his works among the nations, how he lifts up one nation and brings one down, how um, he moves the nations and how he moves the church and he guides and provides for his people. Observe his works. Observe his works in, in scripture. Observe his works in history. Uh, observe his... Uh, his works which he proclaims that he will do, see the work of God. And in a sense, his conclusion, for who is able to straighten what he has bent. Understand that that God is working, he has worked, he is working, he will continue to work, and, and no one will thwart his will, no one will thwart his work. And so the, the lesson here is to embrace his sovereignty and his providence 
in our own life and time in which we live. And see, his, his sovereignty, his works, his sovereignty and his providence throughout history, throughout the word of God, throughout the, uh, the history of redemption, throughout the history of the church, and then apply that to your own life. That God will work out what he decrees. He will work out his plans. And if you are his, if you are a child of his, if you are in his family, if you are in his church, then he will guide and provide for you. He will protect you. He will lead you. He, he will not leave you nor forsake you. He will always be with you. And so we live well by observing and embracing God's sovereignty and providence. Finally, the last lesson Solomon teaches us in how to live well in this passage is to know your place and rejoice. Verse 14. In the day when there is good, be of good cheer. But in the day when there is evil, see. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man will not find out anything that will be after him. Know your place and rejoice. Or is, you know, there, there's a common saying uh, that has been in our current times, know your role. Uh, people say that almost in slang, know your role. And it's another way often said uh, in a derogatory fashion uh, to put someone in their place. But there is a sense that we need to be put in our place in, in terms of our relationship with God or our relation to our position um, as a creation um, before our creator to know our place, to know our role, that we are a creation. And we are limited. We are limited in our abilities. We are limited in our wisdom. We are limited in what we can control in our lives. We are limited in what we can do in our culture, in our time and place, in history. And so in the day when there is good, be of good cheer. But in the day when there is evil, see that God has made the one as well as the other. Be, be humble enough to receive both good and evil from God. This is in a sense that the, the prime example of this, the prime illustration of this is Job. Is Job. And, and as he says, after um, you know, Satan strikes him, after everything, he takes everything away from him and, and strikes him with the boils. And, and he falls down. Um, and he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. Yahweh gave, and Yahweh has taken away. Blessed be the name of Yahweh. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And, and as many commentators have said, that this was the, the highest act of worship in Job's life. At that time, that Job was... He bowed down and he worshiped. And he said, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And there's a song written about it. Blessed be your name. You give and take away. And it didn't stop there. Because you know, Job's wife comes to him and, and says, in a sense, how, how long will you hold fast to your integrity, curse God and die? You know, or um, and, and almost, in a sense, tempting him to uh, be angry at God. And, and he rebukes her and he says, You speak as one of the wickedly foolish women speaks. 
Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept calamity? Or other translations say, shall we accept good from God and not evil? Know that God gives us good things and there's also evil times in our lives. There's good times, there's bad times. But if we're in Christ, if we're with God, then he walks with us through those good times and those bad times. He always guides, he always provides. We are to know our place because even though we are, uh, if we're in Christ and we are God's children, um, even though we're in his family, it, it doesn't mean that we deserve good. It doesn't mean that we deserve life to um, always go easy and be comfortable and, and uh, pleasant. We deserve hell. And if we deserve hell, we definitely deserve, uh, uh, you know, a horrendous life as well. So, as many pastors have said, um, any good, this, this side of heaven is, is mercy. It's mercy. So Solomon tells us at the end to know your place and rejoice. Because, you know, I mean, you, you cannot find anything that will be after you anyways. You, you don't know what a day may bring. As James says, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do such and such. We are a vapor, here today and gone tomorrow. And so Solomon teaches us in, in these 14 verses how to end well and then how to live well. And we are to live in light of the end, to remember that there is an end. That our, our days will come to an end. We should always to remember that, to live in light of that fact. That we will not go on forever, and not only will we not go on forever, but we don't know the day in which we'll die. We don't not, do not know that it, whether we'll live long or we'll, we'll die young, or um, if we'll contract some disease or have some tragic accident that, that takes away our independence and our abilities and, and uh, we'll um, suffer. We don't know what a day may bring. We're to embrace God's sovereignty and providence and to uh, rejoice in the goodness that he has given us and to accept the evil as well. Probably one of my most uh, favorite psalms, a psalm that I, I reflect upon often and a psalm that fits well with um, this chapter and even the whole book of Ecclesiastes is you know, the Psalm of Moses. In Psalm 90 is Moses is in a sense reflecting upon his own life and the end of his life and, and all that God has brought him through and, and uh, you know, um, Israel. This is a, a part of Psalm 90 which I have shared with many people on hospice. It just um, to, uh, for them to reflect upon their own lives as they come to the end. Moses says in Psalm 90, verses 10 to 12, As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to might, 80 years, yet their pride is but labor and wickedness, for soon it is gone and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger and your fury, according to the fear that is due you? So teach us to number our days, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. 
teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. And yes, Moses, as, as every one of us, we know that we cannot literally number our days because we don't know how many days we have. But we do know that our days have been numbered by God, that there are a number of days and soon that number will run out and we will get to our last day. And in understanding that and in embracing that, we get a heart of wisdom. We get a heart of wisdom as that simple chart that you can buy and put on your door or your wall will show you that there will be an end. You don't know exactly when, but you know, the longer you live, the closer you get. And there is an end in, there's an end to come. I remember one um, old saint, one um, saint was talking to another in church and, and they were talking about um, you know, their birthday and, and they're a senior saint and they're getting up there in age and, and saying um, something along the lines of, well, you just had a birthday. You're, while you're, you're getting up there in age, you're getting, you're getting, uh, you're getting older. And uh, uh, other saint says, no, I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer. And that's how we can look at life. As we age, if we're in Christ, yes, we're getting older and we're getting closer to the end, but we're getting closer to Christ as well. And that's our hope. And that's how we end well. That's how we live well, to live in light of the end, in that if we're in Christ, we have a glorious end awaiting for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words, for these principles. As um, We can look at the life of Solomon and see his failures. It's, it's easy to see his failures where he went off the rails. But we also see the great wisdom that you blessed him with and are able to um, glean from his wisdom and to be confronted with the fact that our days are numbered Though we don't know the number of our days, you have numbered them. And you have appointed a day for us to die. And a day in which our lives will come to an end. So Lord, help us to live in light of the end. And if there's anyone here that's not sure of what their end will be, help them to consider the end. That there is two ends for or two possibilities for every person either to face your judgment and to feel and experience your wrath forever in hell or to live face to face before you and to behold your glory and to worship you because of what Christ has done to redeem sinners such as us. For those of us that are in Christ, help us to look forward to that day, to live in light of it, and to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.